0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, lean in and enjoy. And uh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna just jump in and read, and we'll, we'll move into our start today. Uh, verse one says, "Now I would remind you, brothers, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you." Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as the first important, so the most important thing I said to you, uh, is what I also received myself. And it's this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul, this great apostle, he's a father to the Corinthian church, reminds the Corinthians of the gospel he preached to them that they had already received. So Paul is writing to people who are already Christians. I want you to see that. So he's saying, I want to remind you guys who are Christians of the gospel, which seems redundant. It seems silly. Again, why remind them of the gospel if they had already received it? I think it's because many of us struggle with what one author calls gospel amnesia. We often forget um, who we are, where we are, where we are going. Uh, we lose sight of what is real externally, the story of God that, that's happening in the world around us, whether we like it or not, it's it's real. We lose sight of the objective for the, the subject of what we feel. So what's real gets blocked out by what we feel, and we lose sight of uh, Jesus. And I experienced this recently. I, I took a trip to Tunisia. Uh, we were Tunisia, as you guys say. Um and uh and we have a couple that, that wants to plant a church among uh, the muslim world and so we went there and the arab spring happens uh, in tunisia it's exciting and uh and since then they've had internet restrictions lifted in their country since ben ali their dictator uh, moved to saudi like all good dictators do when they get uh forced out and uh and uh, and since then um the, the second most googled question in tunisia is who is jesus the last couple of years. It's exciting. So there's, there's a bunch of young people uh, who, who want to do something to do with Jesus. It was this exciting random fact. Uh, but but we're on our way to um, Ireland from Tunisia uh, to minister to a church up there. And we're in the Paris airport. So we went Tunisia to Paris, Paris to Dublin. And uh, and uh, we get to our gate about 30 minutes before our flight. I was a little nervous. Uh, as I like to tell my team, I've never missed a flight and I'm not planning on starting today. And uh, so I get there about 30 minutes before and no one's there. Uh, nothing's on the marquee. Uh, no, no no one's there, and, uh, and so I'm a little nervous, and so I find an Air France desk that points us to another gate that's like 20 gates down, uh, and now I'm like, man, it, it, we're like 20 minutes out, so we hustle. We get over there with about 10 minutes to spare. Uh, we get there, and then uh, it's not an Air France desk uh, for a flight to Dublin. It is a, a Korean Airlines flight to Seoul, South Korea from Paris, which is, is not what I was looking for. Um, so I'm starting to freak out, man. I'm at like the, doing the five minute kind of dead end shuffle. Like, what am I going to do? I start, I do this thing when I panic, I go, no, 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 no. And so I was saying, I'm saying, no, 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 Just running around uh, the airport and I have my passport out and my boarding pass. I'm running from, from gate to gate and I keep getting bad information. They go, it's over here. It's over here. I go to three different places. Now I'm assuming they have already, they're done boarding. I probably missed my flight. I'm freaking out. Now I'm just hoping to maybe get on another flight later in the day. And uh, an Air France guy goes, oh, no, 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 this huge time on the ticket is your boarding time, not your takeoff time. So you were thir- you were an hour, you were there 30 minutes before the 30 minutes before. And uh, so I'm like, great, I'm like finally starting to chill out, I thought I was missing my flight. He goes, go back to the original gate, those guys lied to you, they're terrible. Um, and, uh, and so I-, I walk over, and as I get to the gate, I realize that in my frenzy of running all around this airport, uh, I had set down my passport and my boarding pass, which is really exciting. Twitch, I started going, no, 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 no. And I started going through my bag, and I started freaking out. And um, uh, long story short, uh, they basically say, You're, you got two minutes left. I go upstairs. I'm like praying. I'm looking around the floor, looking through the trash at Starbucks. Like, I'm doing anything I can uh, to find maybe where I, I set this thing. And uh, randomly, uh, this British heartthrob just says, are you American? And I was like, yes. He's like, have you lost your passport? I was like, yes. He's like, "Four gates down. I left it just for you. Uh, I was like, great. I go and get it. We make it to the flight. I get on. Uh, but, but in the frenzy of losing my passport, I had a buddy with me, one of our elders named Royce. And Royce said to me out loud in my most panicked moment, maybe if you calm down, you'll make better decisions. <laughs> and uh, now, now, again, I, in that moment, man, I just lost everything. Royce's encouragement to slow down, think about what was going on, would have led me to make way better decisions. Now, I'll argue that most Christians are like me in the Paris airport. That we constantly forget what is true, but instead of losing sight of the truth regarding a flight, they lose sight of the truth regarding God's love for them in the gospel and the implications of that for our lives. So it's not that that, that we forget what the gospel—he says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of this gospel you've already received. It's not that um, we, we don't know, like, who is Jesus? G- what is a cross? What, what? I don't know anything about this. It's, it's we, we lose sight of the implications for our lives. If this is true out there and up here— we want to make sure that it feels true in here, that we move, we move into it. Um, and again, often we run, we run around our lives frantic, trying to control everything and prove ourselves. And, and it often makes matters worse, Worse uh, makes our lives harder. We hurt people while robbing Jesus of the glory due to him. And so again, I don't think we, lo- we lose the facts of the gospel, but I think we lose um, the effects of the gospel. So for example, if you walk around with guilt all the time, You've probably forgotten that you've been completely forgiven by Jesus. That when he died on the cross, he covered all of your sins, past, present, and future. If you're striving to impress people and earn their approval, and some of you are enslaved to this. You're constantly asking yourself, what did they mean when they said, I don't like you? (laughs) Just joking. No, you're like, when my boss said, good job. Was it like, good job? Was it like, good job? Was it like, good job? Good job? You know, what was it? And you're you're freaking out. And you're freaking out. When you give in to temptation and sin, you're forgetting that on the cross Jesus freed us from the power of sin. It's not that you aren't allowed to sin; it's that you no longer have to, nor do you want to. When you understand and experience how satisfying He is, now you might be thinking, Andy, I know the, I know the gospel, bro. I know your average Christian might forget the truths of the gospel. I'm a legit Christian. I'm at Life Changers. I'm at a school we have to set up and tear down every week, man. This is Navy Seals, a church plan. There are churches in Cape Town. There are churches in Cape Town where, you know, there's rock climbing walls for children. And they give everyone free coffee every week, not just when you're new. And uh, there's no setup and tear-down. And, uh, I mean, the preaching's definitely not better. But, but there's a lot of things about it that, that are, you know, again, I'm not that consumer Christian. I'm, I'm into it. I'm a part of a community that's planted. But I think Paul would argue that it's totally possible for people who have been Christians for a long time to forget the gospel. In Second Timothy, Paul says something similar. He writes to an emerging church planner who he personally mentored. Okay, I don't care who mentored you, it wasn't Apostle Paul's status. And to a guy mentored personally, as a young apostolic figure, a a guy who's, uh, Paul's explaining how to ordain elders. So he's such a leader that he's ordaining, he's not just an elder, he's ordaining elders. And to that guy, he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ seems like again an odd thing to say but here's the thing uh, i think it's because timothy is facing severe stress the kind of thing you might feel every once in a while in cape town i don't know the thing i was feeling in the paris airport that when our circumstances get crazy again we miss on what is true and so here's the idea is is if 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 a disciple of the apostle paul needed to be reminded of the gospel how much more do we as run-of-the-mill 21st century disciples in san diego and cape town need to be reminded of this gospel And so my big idea today is this, is as a church, you might be missing out, and you as a person who's a member of this body might be missing out on the joy God is calling you to experience because you have lost sight of and for all intentional purposes forgotten the gospel as you're obsessed with and you're constantly remembering your circumstances. And when the church forgets the gospel, it is a mess. The church becomes a hypocritical, judgmental, insecure, guilty, sad bunch of religious people. The only thing that makes this different than any other religion in the world is grace. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. I think that breaks Jesus' heart when we lose sight of these. So um, as I go through these truths, you may already know them. Uh, again, I, and again, I, I'm not claiming to, to teach you some brand new thing. I'm here to remind, like what Paul did. He'd already told them the gospel. I want to remind you afresh of the gospel, okay? So, 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 I wanna, yeah, so you, maybe you're here and you've never believed this stuff, and it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. Uh, I want to just share it with you today. Uh, But for some of you who maybe go, oh, I've heard this. I know what these words mean. I've been around church for a while. Please don't tune me out because, again, there is a massive difference. I was a pastor who had lost sight of the gospel for about a year of my life. I promise it's got to get from here to here. And so I just want to ask the Spirit to make these fresh to you. So three things I want to remind you of, okay? Number one is this. Remember that you're justified. Remember that you're justified. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul says this. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, even though he never sinned, so that through Jesus we could be made right with God. Okay? And so what this means is this, is that um, when Jesus died on the cross, he was punished as if he had lived your jacked up, wicked, broken, messed up life that you and I both live. I don't know, but you, you probably sin every once in a while. We sin in word, thought, and deed. Some people go, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm mostly good. Uh, I'm really, I, don't, I, don't drink, I don't use straws at coffee shops, which is a big thing in Cape Town. Uh, right? I, I take start-stop showers. I help old ladies across the street most of the time. I care about the poor. I'm not racist. I'm loving. I'm growing. You know, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, externally, you might not see things, but we know that, that, that it's not just what we do. God sees our hearts. And, and I and you know it's so funny. I've had so many people tell me as the pastor over the years, it's so, it doesn't matter what I do, man, because God sees my heart. That should be terrifying. Because you can do good things for the wrong reasons. Um, and, and so uh, Paul says that some people preach the gospel from rival. They're preaching to make other guys look bad. That's crazy. And so definitely there's a lot of things that you can do. And so, so, so here's the idea again. If you don't believe me, just think through your last 24 hours and imagine there's an MP3 file of that. That everyone in this room can listen to. Every thought you had. Awkward. You're weird, right? You're sinful. You think things you shouldn't think. The pride, the lust, the anger, the judgmental. Like stuff we would never say is there. And oftentimes the only thing holding us back is not that we love God. It's what would people think or what would the consequences be again, man? We need saving. And so on the cross, Jesus dies for all that jacked up, broken, naughty, lame stuff. That we love to do. We want to reject God and live for ourselves and be our own God and, and hurt people in the process. So on the cross, Jesus is punished for that. But at the same time, it's this idea of a great exchange, at the same time, when we put our faith in Him, we're credited with His record. So He's punished for doing what we did, but then we get the rights as if we had lived His perfect sinless life, which now means I'm now a co heir with Jesus. That means that everything that's under His feet is under my feet. I had a friend in high school named Rosano Rosano, and he was really smart. He went to Harvard, he was number one in our class. I was not that guy. I was what the kids called dumb. And uh, I, uh, I got very average grades. I wanted to kind of hang out with girls at parties and go to an average college and then work an average job. I had very little vision for my life. And I just want you to imagine in high school that, that our transcripts, the names are flipped at the top. Andy Rogers has the, has the perfect record of Rosano, Rosano. And Rosano has the really average record of Andy Rogers. And what would happen is, is I would then have access to the things that Rosano, Rosano had access to. And this is what happens with us in Jesus, is I, I would have access, to, with Rosanna. I would have access to schools I would have no business being in. I'd have access to spaces and networks ha- I should have no business having access to. I now have access to the network of Jesus. I now have access to the throne room of heaven. I now get to sit in the lap of Abba, the king of the universe. I have access to spaces I should not be. And so that means when, when God, when Jesus died on the cross, God poured out all his wrath on Jesus. That means there's no la- wrath left for you and me. It's done. I made right with God. So when he sees me, he says, the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to me if I receive it. But a lot of times we, when we lose sight of this reality, we think we have to keep it up. I've got to keep my eye to a girl in a college ministry. And she told me once, she said, um, Andy, I, I think I'm going to give up on my faith because I can't keep it up anymore. And, but First Peter 1 says that God keeps our, uh, our salvation in, in heaven like an inheritance. He's guarding it for us. Jesus got it, not me. Right now in American sports, I know you guys don't care about basketball. It's been made abundantly clear by that really rude introduction by Gabe. Boston Celtics are one game away from the NBA Finals, but that's neither here nor there. Without their two best players, but that's neither here nor there. Right now it's uh, the playoffs, and, uh, and, and you guys probably know who Michael Jordan is at least. And there's a raging battle right now. Uh, who is the best player in NBA history, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And Michael Jordan had a, a game where he scored a career-high 69 points. And, and on that same night, he had a teammate named Stacey King who scored one point. And after the game, Stacey King was being interviewed. They said, how does it feel to be a teammate with Michael Jordan when he scored his career-high 69 points? And they you know, asked him. And he said, man, I'll, I'll never forget the night that me and Michael Jordan scored 70 points together. <laughs> now, we can laugh, but um, we think we're Michael Jordan and Jesus is Stacey King when We forget our justification, we think all the pressures on Jesus kind of helped us out, kind of got us into heaven, you know he, he's a friend that got you in the nice restaurant, but now you're, it's on your own to pay. he got you he, he got you the reservations, he got you in, but but now you're on your own no we're not only are we saved by grace, we're sustained by grace. We stand in grace, Roman says it's like our address, and so you just need to know that, that 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 this is always true the burden never shifts from Jesus to you it's us holding fast to him. That's what it said in First Corinthians. Jesus paid our penalty. He gave us his righteousness. He justifies us. He defines us on our sin struggles in the present or the past uh, or the future. Again, there's no amount of prayer or Bible study or evangelism or serving the poor or obedience that can justify you. We obey him because we've been justified and we are grateful not to be justified. And you can be in church your whole life and miss this. There was a girl in my um, college ministry. Ironically, the one that said, "I can't do it anymore. I can't keep up this faith." And I got to walk her through the gospel, and then she realized that this was this free gift that she couldn't earn. She was a worship leader, and she shared her testimony. Like two years into being a worship leader, which was really awkward, how she got saved at our church, but it's fine. And uh, and then she she gets this good news, and she shares it with her mom. And her mom was a church accountant, and her mom had been in evangelical churches her whole life. Evangelical just means gospel person. That's what it's supposed to mean. It means a lot of weird stuff in America. Um, but what it's supposed to mean is person of the gospel. So she had been in a church of supposedly people of the gospel who had preached the gospel. And whether or not she had bad preachers or she had ears that couldn't allow her to hear, um, her, her mom, Dallas went to her mom. She said, Mom, I just found this amazing news that Jesus died for me. He'd make me right with God once and for all. I don't have to do anything to keep it up. I want to do stuff because I love him, because he loves me, but not, not to earn his love. And I can know forever that I'm accepted by him and I've been made right with him by Jesus. She's so excited and rattling all this stuff off. And her mom said, are you sure that's true? And, and then she was able to share, man, I, I, and Dallas was like, yeah, and she's like, man, and then her mom said, man, I hope that's true too. And I want to share something with you. And she, she told her daughter about an abortion she had in college 30 years before. And she said, my whole life I've never known, but I was forgiven. I always thought I was still guilty. This is a woman who, who on paper believed in the cross, but she didn't think it it counted for the big stuff. And a lot of times we can walk around with guilt when we lose sight of the gospel that we're justified. And usually it's for one of two reasons. One, we have one big sin from our past the adultery, the abortion, the divorce, the business fraud, whatever it is for you a huge sin. Maybe you ruined a, a friendship with someone. And we go, oh, man, God, it's too big for God to cover. On the flip side of that, we go, oh, you know, I don't have a big sin. Which, by the way, all sin's is a big sin. All sin led to the, the death of the Son of God. But we like to tell ourselves, ah, it's not that bad. Just a little anger, a little pride, a little, little gluttony, right? And, um, and we go, but, but what we do is we go, ah, man, it's not a big deal. But, but actually, cumul- the cumulative effect over time, it's kind of big. Like, I like to sweep my sin under the rug, but, the, but I'm tripping over the rug now. There's a lot here. And we go, there's no way Jesus could keep forgiving me. But the reality is that Jesus, past, present, and future, he, he did it all. He covered it all. All of your sin was in the future. When he died, this is big. Again, this is basic, but do you really walk in this? Again, Jesus took all of God's wrath for us on the cross. That means there isn't any left for us. This means if we ask God to make what Jesus did on the cross to count for us, we stand innocent in the courtroom of heaven. Our penalty has been paid as I plead plead Jesus for my charges. So we're justified in the eyes of God the judge in the courtroom of heaven, but more than that has happened for us in the gospel. Because of what Jesus did in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he also made a way for us to be adopted by God the Father. It's it's a beautiful thing to be acquitted by God the judge, but then to be invited into his family and adopted by God the Father, the sovereign king of the universe, is really cool. It's amazing. In Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7, it says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. Sons, by the way, in this culture, it's patriarchal culture, uh, the firstborn son was the, the privileged child. So don't hear, oh, this is for men, not women. Ladies, he's saying all of us in Christ have the place of the privileged child. Okay? So he's saying because of that, you are all privileged children. God sent the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, into our hearts. The Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's privileged child. And since you are his privileged child, God has made you also an heir. Again, you have access to everything that Jesus had. So, so what Paul is saying here is that on the cross, Jesus didn't just die that we might be forgiven of our sins and justified with God the judge. That's a beautiful thing. But he says on the cross, he signed your adoption papers with his blood to make you adopted by God the Father that you're not only acquitted, but you're delighted in. You're not only not going to prison, but you have a space in the house. And so it says, when the set time had fully come at the right time, we celebrated at Christmas. God entered human history in a space, in a place, to live the life we could not leave, live. He was born under the law. He fulfilled the law on our behalf so that we wouldn't be under that anymore. But also so that we might receive adoption as privileged kids. And now the Spirit here, and in Romans 8, says the Spirit's crying out in our hearts. He's going, Daddy! You need to know that you have a daddy. You have a father. Some of us our entire lives have longed to hear someone tell us they know us and love us. And we now have one in God, the Father, who knows us more than we know ourselves and loves us more than we love ourselves, even though he knows the jacked up, broken parts of us. But some of us live our entire lives where even though this is true, we're loved by the sovereign king of the universe. We've been given worth and value that was proved at the cross. We still, we don't really care about that. We slave away for the approval of people. The most uh, ridiculous example I've ever seen of this is uh, I spent one month in the United States Air Force. Um, and what they basically told me was, I went to basic training and then they sent me back. And what they told me was, you're probably too tough for the military. And, um, and by that I mean they said you have asthma and uh, you're, you're too weak to be in the military. I was 18, and so I go there, and I go to boot camp. It's kind of just like in the movies. You get off the thing. there's is the drill sergeant guys, and they're yelling at you, and they want to break you down to build you back up and turn you into a well-oiled machine and take your uh, autonomy and make you unified. And uh, so they do that by just tearing you down to build you back up. And so they're looking for things to kind of tear you and everyone down collectively. Uh, so they're just looking. So literally, like, you get off. They're trying to intimidate you. You get off the plane, and they're yelling at you, yelling at you for things that there is no humanly... No human way possible you could actually be angry about these things. Like, if, like, you legitimately should be in a mental institution if you're angry. Like, a guy, you're gonna eat a sandwich like that? You're gonna walk like that? It's like, what? what? How do you, how are you married? Like, what, what do you, it gets a lot more complicated than this, chief. Like, it's crazy out there. And, uh, and and so we're all standing in line. We got in late. It's like one in the morning. It's three in the morning. We're standing there. We're gonna get up at five in the morning uh, the next day. It's kind of boot camp. Dun dun, dun 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 dun. And they're running in, yelling. We didn't know that yet. We're tired. We want to go to sleep. And we're all at attention. And uh, and uh, and they're walking by, looking for anything to. Um, kind of call us out for. One of the things they tell you before you go to boot camp is, is what's expected before you get there. Hey, here's what you're allowed to bring. Here's what you're not allowed to bring. Here's what you should wear. Here's what you should not wear. Um, here's how you should look. Here's how you should not look. Here's how your hair should be, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that they tell you, any good recruiter tells you, is uh, you need to have a cleanly shaven face, okay? So that means no no beard, uh, no Durban flavor saver, um, no Elvis Presley sideburns, uh, none of that. Uh, you know, hipster mustaches, um, just clean shaven. And I think everyone's recruiter told him that except for this one guy who had, uh, had sideburns. And the TI walks over and he goes, what is this? And he points at it, and then he just goes again, all for, one for all, all for one. He goes, everyone get in the bathroom right now, the latrine. That's what they call it in the military. Get in the latrine right now. Shave your whole face. Everyone together. And so everyone just, it's a bunch of 18 year old children who are terrified, and they run in, and uh, and everyone's already shaved their face, right? So we're just shaving, and we're like, blood's going everywhere, there's no hair to, just Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it's just this pressure, right? Shave your whole face! Shit! They said that over and over and over again. Shave your whole bleepity bleep face. And there's this moment where he just goes, what is that? And we all look and there's a guy who shaved his eyebrows off. (laughs) Now I just got to say, like, I don't think that it was that cat's style normally to shave off his eyebrows. Like, I don't think when he's getting kidded, he's going to work. He's like, shave off my eyebrows. (laughs) Got to get fresh for the boss. Why did he shave his eyebrows off? I think the reason he did that was he wanted the approval of the TI. He was like, shave your whole thing. Again, when we live for the approval of people, we get weird. I'm talking, you do dumb stuff when you want the approval of people. And Maybe for you, it's you're addicted to social media. You want to get retweeted or liked. Maybe it's, you're desperate to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. And so, and you want their approval, until so you compromise your sexual purity, or you date someone who doesn't know Jesus. So you just want someone to see you and want you and think you're beautiful or amazing. Maybe you've come close to the edge, or you've gone off the edge of adultery. Adultery is never about sex. It's I'm looking to a person to give me what only Jesus can. I was actually looking to I was looking to my spouse to give me something that only Jesus could, and she couldn't do it, or he couldn't do it. And then I go, okay, this person thinks I'm cool at work because they see me eight hours a day. They don't have to pick my underwear up, and they don't have to see me with children. And yeah, it's, it's fake. It's a lie. They're impressed with the best version of me, and they tell me I'm awesome, and then you move towards that. Again, when you want, you just want, I had a friend who literally committed adultery. I love this guy. Had a beautiful wife. He, he committed adultery with a very unbeautiful woman who didn't know him very, it was like, dude, what are you? He said, man, I messed up, I messed up, I messed up. And he said, I just wanted someone to tell me, like, I was doing good, like, that, that they were proud of me, that, that, that they loved me. And so I just want to say, like, this is—we do crazy things. We want the approval of people. Maybe for you, it's getting your parents, who may or may not even be alive, to be proud of you. You're constantly anxious about what they think of you or your decisions you're making. Maybe, the, maybe you never met them. You want to prove them wrong. Maybe it's getting that—it's your boss. It's getting that promotion at work. It's getting your boss to say, "Add a boy or add a girl," and you overwork and you neglect your family, trying to prove yourself. Again, this is what adoption's all about. That we don't need to get people to delight in us because we are delighted in right now. Zephaniah 3 in the Old Testament, God speaks to his people about this reality. There's a passage in Zephaniah 3 about how he's taking their judgments away. And, and it's, very, it's foreshadowing the cross of Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, reality of grace covering sin. And he says, the Lord your God is with you, a mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing that the father stands in a space where and i have this with babe like right like babies in the ancient world weren't loved um because they're really hard to deal with and uh and now but but we've experienced right where we just are content in love uh for a baby right it's usually easier when they're asleep <laughs> for obvious reasons right and we just have this moment where we delight in them we love them and they didn't do anything to earn it matter of fact everything they do is inconvenient on paper Like the world's worst roommates, they poop everywhere. They're loud, right? But we love them, why? Because they're our 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 son or our daughter, or or God God's like content in His love for you, or He's so overjoyed, He's He's so pumped, He's singing over you. You've been so happy, you're singing. That there's there's moments where God's so happy He sings about you. It's absurd that He loves me more than I love myself. Again, this idea of God as Father might not seem like good news if you had a bad dad or an absent dad or an abusive dad or no dad at all, but this dad is a perfect dad. He's the dad your heart longs for. He's the dad. The reason you have a daddy wound is because you, you deserve a dad. And he's been it all along. Earthly dads just point you, even the best ones are just point you to your true dad. Maybe you didn't have a dad to protect you, who paid attention to you, who sacrificed for you, who bestowed identity on you, or who had vision for you life. You do now if you, in Jesus if you believe this gospel. And he's—he's he's not just this sovereign king. He's a sovereign king, but your royalty. You can go sit on his lap while he decrees. Again, has that hit your walk with God yet? Do you think when I'm going to pray, I'm talking to a dad who adores me? Um, that he delights to hear from you. That prayer isn't like I think sometimes we're like, oh man, it's been a while. Kind of like the way, um, kind of the Catholic Church is portrayed on TV. It's been a while since my last confession. So we are with prayer that God's like, yeah, it's been a while. I'm so annoyed. Or, or you're showing up now to pray after all this sin? You're sh- no, 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 no. God delights to hear from us. My daughter, she, um, a lot of us, we're not very good at prayer, right? Our mind wanders. Maybe that's just me. Your mind wanders, and it's hard, and it's confusing sometimes. And you're like, man, I wish I could just see him and talk to him and all that stuff. And, um, and it's just so funny. Like, we think we, we can impress God with our prayers. And, like, God's like, oh, your mind wandered. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross for all your wickedness, but your mind wandering, I can't cover. There's a book, an amazing book you should read called The Praying Life by a guy named Paul Miller. And in that book, he says the last bastion of legalism in most Christians' lives is prayer. I got to be good enough to pray for God to, you know. And I was thinking about this. though, so my daughter, Olivia, she's three. She's, she was two a year ago. And uh, she, <laughs> it's a really deep point you didn't see coming. <laughs> And uh, she said her first words a, 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 the, about two years old, or a little, maybe a year and a half, I don't know. But she, she said her first words, and her first words were milk. And I have to tell you, um, she didn't say milk. She said mook. Mook, mook. But it was, it was clear what she was pointing at. She wanted milk. And her brothers lost their minds. Olivia's saying, Olivia's talking. Olivia's saying milk. And again, it was not the best way I've ever heard anyone heard say milk in my entire life. I was in the UK, quaint accent uh, last week, and it's like milk. You know, it's this beautiful, like it's like, like I've heard people say milk better than my daughter in that moment, but I've never been more pumped to hear someone say milk in my entire life. (laughs) We're trying to, we're trying to snap the video where where her, the brother's like, say it again, Liv, say it again, say it again, mama, say it again. We're pumped because she's my daughter. She's their sister, my my wife's daughter. We're celebrating her attempt to talk because we love her and we know who she's going to be. So, yeah, you're not good at prayer right now. It's okay. Olivia's not good at talking, but I delight in it. And, and, and the Bible says that if you who are wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father? Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. God delights you in your prayers, even the crappy bad ones. Sorry, crap. Might not be cool to say. Another thing Olivia does that I love is she'll do this thing where she'll say, um, uh, she's not good at talking again. She'll say, um, she'll say, show me, show me she means, I want to show you something. So she'll take me by the hand and take me in her room and say, show me, dada. And she'll show me stuff she made or um, whatever. She made her bed or she wants to show me something cool. And, uh, and, and there's often times where she'll just say, show me, show me, show me. And she's nervous. And, uh, and one of the things that's really interesting about this moment is she's really overwhelmed by something. I am in no way overwhelmed ever by the things she brings me. But I care about the things that overwhelm her because I care about her. Again, if I as a wicked dad, I am impatient, I am mean, I say things I shouldn't say, I say things in, in tones I shouldn't say them in, I am less than who I'm supposed to be in Jesus, I still need grace, I'm growing. But, but if I am that way, how much more is God less overwhelmed than I am? How much less distracted is God? He's omnipotent. And how much more does he love her and how much does he love me and love you? So when you pray, and you know, you know what's so crazy? Sometimes we get really into weird prayer formulas um the lord's prayer when it says oh, start god's he starts with talk to dad and he's he basically if you read the lord's prayer it's just tell dad about your day it's not to be recited it's like tell him what you're nervous about tell him what you need tell him what you need protection from my kids need protection from me at times they need me to provide things so so one of the best ways to grow in your prayer life is just to talk to god about what's actually on your heart god I know i'm supposed to pray about religious stuff i'm not mature enough to do that yet i'm really afraid about this situation at work Let him speak to you. He's your dad. He'll get you. Does that make sense? Um, So again, we're adopted. Do you really believe he delights in you? Do you believe you have a father who's in control? um, That because you have his approval, you don't need the approval of other people. My last point is this, is remember you are being sanctified. This would be a quick point. Remember you're being sanctified, transformed. So we've been acquitted by God the judge. We've been adopted by God the father because of the work of Jesus. Justified by the son, adopted by the father. Now we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, 6 6-7 says this. Next slide. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus. So our old self died on the cross with Jesus. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This means not only did Jesus die to, to, to set you free from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Uh, uh, we were in Durban ministering with the church there and due to the generosity of some amazing friends, we got to go on a a game park drive. And, uh, one of the things we did is we got very, very, very close to an elephant, closer than I was comfortable with. I was very aware in that moment that the elephant could tip over our Range Rover, I'm pretty sure. And I was terrified. He was in the bushes, just kind of rustling. And my biggest fear is he's going to be like, surprise, dead. And, uh, and back when the circus, was, the circus was a big deal about 100, 150 years ago, and they had elephants in them for uh, animal rights groups took off and stuff like that, um, which I don't think is a bad thing, by the way. It's just, just whatever. It, it, it changed. I don't think it's good to put wild animals in tents and stuff like that. Uh, but anyways, uh, when, when, what they would do is when the baby was born, they would put the, the baby elephant, they would nail them down with a stake that was heavy enough to hold them down as a baby elephant, which again um, – it's probably a pretty big stake to hold down a, a, an elephant of any size, right? It would hold us down. Um, but a baby elephant, it's a pretty big stake, you know? Um, but, uh, but, but the thing that's crazy is, is, is it, it would convince them early on, um, you are weak, you are powerless, you are stuck here, you have a master. You walk out when the master wants you to walk out. You come right back down here and sit down when the master wants you to sit down. You eat when the master wants you to eat, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the master, by the way, didn't have any real power uh, over it because humans are very small. Um, over time, the elephant would grow to about six times its strength. It would get really big, about six times its strength. And what they would do is, is can you imagine how big a stake would have to be to hold down an elephant, a full-grown, like a stake, you know, on the ground? They could flip over Range Rovers with their heads. They didn't want to carry a stake around that big. And so what they would do is they would just use the stick they used when it was a baby because the elephant had been trained its whole life, I can't move this stake. Absolutely could, but had no idea. You are weak. You are enslaved. The enemy tells us all the time. You are weak. You are enslaved to sin. You'll always be a dirty girl. You'll always be a pervert. You'll always be a liar. You'll always be bitter. You'll always be angry. You'll always push away the people that love you. That's who you're going to be. Jesus said, said that that you was real. You were a liar. You were a pervert. You were a jerk. You were whatever. But that guy or that gal died on the cross with Jesus. So, so the only way that that gets life is if I give... That power in my life, if, if I go, oh yeah, I got to go, I, I got to go with a stick. The enemy's only power over us is, is a lie. Um, but here's the thing, it's a slow process. So you don't have to sin anymore. But when we forget the truth that we are set free, we go, oh yeah, I got to, but, but it's a process. Um, I, uh, I love a beverage called coffee. Uh, and coffee is like a better version of tea, just so you guys know. I know Cape Town, you got a coffee culture, like the kingdom of God's coming in and stuff like that. Um, I've had probably six cups of tea in my life, and five of them were on this trip if I had to guess. Uh, so I'm not used to tea. But, because I love you guys, I'm going to use a tea illustration real quick. So, yeah. So if you take a cup of tea, right, if you, if you drink your tea black, what's interesting about black tea is is the minute the tea bag goes into the hot water... Everything that's necessary to make that a cup of tea is present in the cup, even though it isn't fully a cup of tea yet. It's it's steaming water with a bag in it. But everything that's needed is in there for it to become what it's meant to be. You, when you get saved, you have everything that's necessary for life and godliness, Peter says, that that over time you will be who you're called to be. But it, it takes a while to work it out, right? You can't make tea in two seconds. It takes a while. And in the same way, infinitely longer as Jesus is doing his thing, but it takes time. We have I was talking to a gal the other day and she was telling me, Andy, she's been a Christian like a year and she um, was just like devastated that she didn't love Jesus perfectly all the time. It's basically to sum up what she was telling me. And I was like, you're basically a (laughs) one-year-old, right? Like, like I think about the one-year-olds in my life and they are a disaster, (laughs) but they're also not going to be that way forever. Some of you guys, you're frustrated with it. It takes time. You, again, if, I had, if it was my timeline, I would, be, I would not struggle with any of the things that I struggle with. But God's like, I know who you're going to be in the future. I already know that guy. He's amazing. He looks like Jesus. But I also know the process it's going to take to get there, and I love you the entire time, and I'm loving you into that. Yes, do everything you can to partner with me. Put sin to death. Do everything you can. But, but, the, but, but, the, but the It's kind of like farming. It's like, do everything you can for this crop of righteousness, but it's in my due time. Does that make sense? And so God is sanctifying you. You are not enslaved to sin. You are not um, guaranteed to keep repeating the mistakes and destructive sinful patterns of your family or of your own life. Jesus really did die to set you free. But it's slow. If you don't believe me, I want to you to see a guy named the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter comes onto the scene with Jesus, and he is a, uh, kind of a tough guy, chest out, in your face, uh, mouthed dude right, uh, says wrong things all the time, uh, but he wants to be a big deal, he wants to stand out, then he asks Jesus, hey man, uh, you know, we're talking to his mom, hey, right or left hand, right? who can be in the place of glory, and then he tells Jesus, you know, he talks a big game, he's like, man, if it ever goes down, I got your back, bro, I'll never deny you, bro, I'll ride shoddy with the sword, thug life, Jesus, I got your back, bro, Jesus is like, but before the, the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me three times, and then he, he, he basically cusses out Jesus to us. He cusses a little girl out. and is like, I don't blankety blank know Jesus. I'm not trying to be funny at this point. He's denying Jesus. When I was in Tunisia and I was thinking, I was uh, talking to, to Muslims, uh, to, to, to believers who became Christian or Muslim. And they talk about persecution. And I often would think to myself, man, could I stand up to persecution? Could I stand up to physical torture or the torture or imprisonment of my family? They said, deny Jesus or else. And I'm like, I don't know. We know if Peter would, he wouldn't. He didn't. A lot of times you think, well, you're done then, but, but actually, um, Jesus goes, hey, I want to make this guy an apostle still, and he restores him on the beach, okay? Now, we think at that point, it's over, okay, he's like, do you love me? Do you love me for my sheep? He restores them. Pentecost, he preaches. 3,000 people say probably more than that, because men, women, and children, It was patriarchal culture. They didn't count uh, women and children in these counts, um, and just the way it was, it wasn't like God was cool with that, it's just the way it was. And uh, so you're, he's killing it, he's apostling hard, he's getting it done, he eventually writes books of the Bible, but, but in between Pentecost and him dying, um, in the book of Galatians, Paul says that he walked away from the gospel again and started hanging out with heretics who were denying that Jesus alone could save you. He was teaching you to be justified, or he, we don't know that he was teaching it, but he was, he was hanging out with it, Paul had to rebuke him to his face. Okay, if I fell into a weird uh, racism thing uh, where I was racist and I started rejecting the gospel, right? Uh, you shouldn't let me. I probably wouldn't let myself be a greeter at my church. God's like, sort it out, apostle. Let's keep it moving. Repent of your sin. Keep moving. But it's a long time coming. One day, Jesus. One day, Peter would stop need, needing to be a big deal. One day, he would be crucified upside down. Church history tells us with his wife that he didn't run, that he stayed. But it took a long time to become that man. And you go, I can't believe I'm doing the same crap again. Peter did the same crap again and again. But Jesus is faithfully, lovingly disciplining him. Painful at times, but turning him to who God's doing that in your life. And it started with the power of sin being broken on the cross with Jesus. So you've been justified. You've been made right with God. You've been adopted by God the Father. You are being set free right now by the Holy Spirit from sin. It's a long long game, but it's happening. And and it will be done one day. Um, And so do you believe this in closing? Do you believe? that you're justified? Do you have anything that you walk around with that you still feel guilty for? Do you actually believe that you're delighted in, you've been adopted? And do you believe that you can actually change?